0: This show is a part of the FM Podcast Network. Visit us at fmpods.com.
1: When I was a kid growing up in Jersey, uh, anybody who was a hoot or really funny or something, uh,
0: we'd call them a riot. Ladies and gents, uh, this guy's a riot in more
1: ways than one. Bob Dylan
0: ah let me tell you a story about the king of france when he came to the usa there was a whole world waiting for him thinking he had something to say this is pod dylan the show that celebrates the work of bob dylan one song at a time part of the fm podcast network i'm your host the free rob kelly and joining us this week to talk about king of france part of the basement tapes is bob fan scott bunn hi scott welcome to the show
1: hi rob thanks so much
0: Oh, thank you for being here. I really appreciate it. I really enjoy your thoughts on Bob over on your blog, Recliner Notes.
1: Yeah, thanks so much. It's a labor of love. Um, I wrote about Bob Dylan for about a about a year, and then I shifted to writing about Elvis Costello, and then I had a series on Bill Callahan. Now I'm kind of doing some one-offs before I uh, dive into one artist again.
0: Very cool. Um, so yeah, we're here to talk about King of France, which is <laughs> definitely a deep, deep, deep cut in the Bob Dylan catalog. It's a song that, again, as I mentioned, was part of the Basement Tapes, but didn't get unearthed until at least officially, until the Basement Tapes bootleg series from a bunch of years ago. And it's a song that I don't think I'd ever even heard until that set had come out. I know it's existed in bootleg form and stuff and and we'll, we will we will get to it. We'll talk about it. But of course, Scotts, this is your first time on the show. I have to ask you, how did you become a fan of Bob in the first place?
1: Oh, right. Yes. The immortal, uh, immortal pod Dylan question. Um, Yeah. So I, let's see, I grew up in Buffalo, New York, um, and dating myself a little bit. I, you know, let's see, late eighties, early nineties, um, is when I first got into, uh, Dylan and, You know, I was a pretty big music nerd immediately, like I was a big Beatles fan, listening to all the Beatles and like read a bunch of Beatles books and all of that stuff. But then, you know, I kept hearing about this guy, Bob Dylan, and how much he influenced the Beatles. And so I sort of said... Well, who is this guy? and I went to like uh, my local record store, which actually existed at that time hmm. and um and so I sort of sheepishly went up to the guy I was like, "Do you have any Bob Dylan?" and he was like, "Oh yeah, we've got some and He handed me Bob Dylan's greatest hits and I, you know, I went home and on vinyl and listened to it over and over again. I think this was my sophomore or junior year of high school. So yeah, 89, 90, somewhere in there. And you know, like, (laughs) we know that Bob Dylan didn't have much cultural currency at that time. And so Listening to him at that time, I didn't know anybody who liked Bob Dylan or talked about him or anything. And I felt like I had this like underground artist, you know, <laughs> you know, and, and, you know, Buffalo's a pretty, yeah. That's kind of, that's fantastic. <laughs> well, it kind of was because, you know, like, um, because Buffalo, at least in my high school in the suburbs, you know, not a lot of alternative music even really being consumed, or at least I didn't know about it. You know, some, the goth kids were listening to The Cure and the Smiths, but you know, that, that was kind of it. And so like listening to Bob was just this, like, what is this guy? Who is this guy? And I remember like reading, I, I read, a uh, Burr by Gore Vidal. I don't know if you ever read that book, but it's like, not- it's really subversive about the founding fathers and everything, you know, and I'm a junior in high school and I was listening to these Dylan songs and I felt like this sounds really cheesy, but I felt like I was an adult, you know, like these were adult things that I was dealing with. And so, yeah, that, that kind of started. And then, you know, I just bought, then I, I, stopped with the vinyl because you could just buy like individual bob dylan albums for five dollars like those (laughs) columbia uh dylan tapes for five bucks and so i just like snap them up one by one wear them out and then just buy another one (laughs) so that's how it all started yeah
0: that is fantastic that it's such a great thing when you discover something and then you learn how much of there is of it. Like you don't know oh it my at gosh. moment. And then you're like, wow, look at all this, all this other stuff. And it's, it's, it's kind of like it's sweet in its own way when you want to feel like you've discovered it. There's just something yeah. cool about that. We realize yeah, the whole world has known about this before you got came along, but it's uh, there's something, you know, just kind of like charming about thinking, Oh man, this is my own little private awesome thing that I found.
1: Well, and there wasn't any internet, you know, I didn't know that anybody else was listening to it. And, you know, he would kind of pop up on Rolling Stone, I had a subscription to Rolling Stone by then, and he would pop up every now and then. Um, And so like, I remember, you know, now, now infamous Toad's Place thing. um, You know, I just read some blurb about it in Rolling Stone. And I was like, he played Dancing in the Dark by Bruce Springsteen? <laughs> what? And you know, it was years before I actually heard that, you know. So uh, you know, this is kind of Stone Age stuff, you know, it feels like now. But um, but yeah, it felt very subversive, but at the same time, this just giant world that I could just um enter into. What was your first
0: Dylan record new one? Like after you became a fan, what was the first one he put out? that you got to experience you know like sort of live
1: well let's see i think under the red sky Oh, okay all
0: right yeah
1: because well it was under the red sky was kind of right in there but you know like the received dylan wisdom or the received wisdom about dylan from you know, Rolling Stone and all those people was that he was done, you know, Mm -hmm. and so I didn't listen to it right away. Um, So at some point, I think I got it from the library and listened to it. And I I just couldn't really comprehend it, like at that (laughs) time, you know, because I'm still like, listening to Desire and Blood on the Tracks, you know, the like classic stuff. And like, at that point, I, I just couldn't comprehend it. But then, when "Good as I've Been to You" came out, like that one, I like that was the first new one that I really like dove into, and I totally got it. And then, you know, Bob fest, um, you know, the big uh, Dylan celebration at Madison Square Garden yeah, came out when I was at. Yes, I mean, you were there. I, I didn't know that. Yeah, and so then that um, that came out at the time and. I like then I was I, by that time I was all in. Um, but yeah, I think good as I've been to you. That's a good, interesting question, though.
0: Well, yeah, like I said I always think it's it's really instructive about when people's fandom kicks in, because it's one thing to appreciate the art after it has kind of come and gone in the popular culture. Right. And, and then there's commentary to read on it. And then there's a, it's very different than when you're like, oh, no, I'm here at day one. Yeah, of this new thing and the, the opinions that are being formed i haven't heard of yet and my first one i've mentioned before was under the red sky and i can yeah. remember there were record stores as you said back when there were record stores i remember going into sam goody of all places back when <laughs> yes. you, you wanted to drop 1899 for a freaking cd but i remember <laughs> going in and this was after i had discovered bob in like 89 and over the summer of 90 and then he drops under the Red Sky in September of 90. And I remember the uh, CD of it being on, like, the new wall. Like, yeah. the new releases. And there it was. And I was like, oh, my God, that's so exciting. There it is. And <laughs> kind of bouncing off what you said earlier about the, the sort of greater conversation was that he was done, in a way. Was yeah. that I remembered, okay, now I'm all in, right? I'm like, because I liked Under the Red Sky quite a bit. And I was like, I was like all right, cool. Whatever this guy's going to put something out, I'm going to go out and get it day of. And then I remember good as i've been to you coming out and i went to a different record store and they didn't have the cd of it like in the new releases they (laughs) had it but they didn't bother to rack it in front of like the new whatever else was new in in uh you know november of 92 and i remember being like it's the new bob dylan record how are you guys not promoting (laughs) this more heavily like i couldn't wrap my hand around it because like well yeah because it's bob dylan and as you said the, the the you know the kind of received wisdom was that he was done and here he is recording an album of folks acoustic folks yeah foggy winter court no they're not going to put that right in the front they're going to put you know madonna or whatever it was in my 19- <laughs> <laughs> yeah gonna, they're, they're like it's like, for lucky town i mean come on you know
1: yeah exactly lucky town Ta- yeah they were probably like somebody might want this this thing of yep. this guy mm-hmm. looking kind of annoyed on the cover <laughs> you know and there's like weird silver blue streaks on it you know and then in the back cover he's like wearing like a sleeveless leather vest picture with, from
0: six years earlier yeah exactly
1: <laughs> with these like leather gloves without fingertips and you're like who's gonna buy this and you're like yes that's me i am that's going me. to buy this i'm the guy who that's wants
0: right it. i was i was at tunes on that first day so uh, <laughs> that's fantastic so well have you seen him live
1: Um, I have, I'm not, uh, let's see, I'm I'm not a big, I haven't been a big live concert person in my life, um, mostly because um, I'm very cheap um, (laughs) for most of my life, but now I'm trying to make up for it now. So I've seen him twice. So Dylan was actually my first concert, the summer of 91, um... And I saw him at Darien Lake. Um, I think it's not, it's labeled as the tape is like Corfu, New York, but that's just at, um, Darien Lake is this amusement park outside of Buffalo. And so I went there and <laughs> I could, this is actually kind of funny because I, yeah, again, I, I didn't really know what to expect. And like the band comes out and starts playing. And they're just playing, and he's not there. Uh, <laughs> and then he kind of, like, comes in and makes this grand entrance. And they're just playing some instrumental, and he plays harmonica over it. And, and like, everybody goes nuts. So he makes this kind of, like, cool little entrance. And then, you know, I have to admit that it was really hard to discern what the songs were, you know, when I was there because of his, you know monotonous delivery at that point in his career but like uh but he played the hell out of the guitar and that was the thing that my friends and i were like we're like this guy is like shredding i don't think we used that word at that point but he was like playing lead guitar throughout and that was the big thing that was most most stood up uh then and then i saw him again what was it uh 2022 here in Asheville North oh, Carolina so on the rough and yeah and that blew my mind I you know the the set that looks like the the um what the black room from Twin Peaks you know and <laughs> like all of the arrangements are crazy I I loved it um so yeah, I've only seen him the two times, but it was like 1991, and then two years ago. <laughs>
0: Not amazing, right? Yeah, you can you can you can drop 30 years in between.
1: 30 years,
0: <laughs> he's just just keeps going. It's just I know along there. It's and, and
1: again, like 1991 was the midpoint of his career. Oh, and then amazing to think, huh? Right? It is
0: <laughs> fantastic. All right, well, very cool. So, all right, King of France, you <laughs> you picked this one. I did. It was It was definitely a, 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 you threw me for a curve when you met, because I was like, king of, I, like, I literally had to think about it. I was like, king of, oh, with a bootleg. Oh, oh, the b- basement tape. Okay, great. Now you wrote this piece on your blog. Again, the aforementioned uh, Recliner Notes, which is uh, incredibly well-informed and well-written piece oh, about this song. And I am desperate to find out how you came to all this because, yeah. I quoted the opening verse to the song. And First of all, that's the only <laughs> verse I could quote because yes. there are no <laughs> lyrics to this song. Officially, there is nothing on Bob Dylan.com. And of course, for anyone who's heard the song, it's half of it is garbled. I mean, part of it is Bob is just sort of yeah. rolling the words around in his mouth. Part of it is the recording is particularly poor. And so there's really no way to analyze the lyrics because you really can't make out what the hell he's saying. So I'm fascinated as to how you, what, what about the performance inspired you to kind of conjure all of this meaning that you have from, again, what you wrote about on your blog?
1: Well, um, so there's a couple of things. So, um, yeah, you asked a lot of questions there. So first of all, why I wanted to write about it, sometimes it's easier to write about things when you need to fill in the blanks, right? So there's a lot of mystery to this song, and there's not even words. So I wrote about um, 80 different Bob Dylan songs um, in the series. I did one song for each of the years, like I started once he turned to 80. That was the inspiration for Recliner Notes. Um, And so, you know, so I wanted to do a, a diversity of songs from, you know, lots of different eras. But I also wanted to get into some of these like weird half songs too, and you know, so I wrote about positively van Gogh um mm-hmm. I also wrote about uh patty's Gone Laredo, um which I'd love to talk about with you if we wanted to, or you can check it out on the blog. But you know, when there's blank space, then there's more freedom to write about it, right? um so there's that. But then, you know, why I wanted to talk to you about it, too, was because it's sort of um, significant and representative of the basement tapes, um, which I think uh, this is kind of a weird thing to say. I think they're a little bit underrated now. Um, so so there's all of that. Uh, so that's kind of why I wanted to talk to you about King of Friends.
0: Okay, so we'll we'll, we'll work backwards. How, how do you think that they're underrated? How okay. think, how, how much you know? We just uh, Jason MD and I just talked about down in the groove. That's an underrated record. But that is, is the, very the def- underrated. Underrated. Really. Well, here
1: here's the thing. So yes, so you know, you and I were in Tulsa, um, and um, I was sitting in on lots of um, different sessions and. There's lots of talk about Time Out of Minds, uh, lots of talk about 80s, you know, Rough and Rowdy Ways, Murder Most Foul, you know, and I think that's, I think right now a lot of people are talking about those things because we're just getting access to a lot of it because of the bootleg series, you know, another self-portrait, Um you know, is, was a big one that sort of recontextualized that era and, you know, the rolling thunder, the, the full, uh the full thing and the Scorsese movie. So there's a lot of attention with rolling thunder. Also the eighties work like you're doing and the other podcasts, you know, there's a lot of stuff. And then the springtime in New York set came out. And so there's a lot of just like, wait, did we get all of this wrong? So thinking about this, but the basement tapes were, um, constitute our first glimpse into bob dylan's like working process and so that was the earliest bootlegs that we had and so that was and then you know girl marcus wrote an entire book about it you know which i've devoured of course because i love it um and so it's just uh it's the first one and so i think Not as many people talk about it now because there's new territory to cover. But with songs like King of France, there's still lots of territory to cover. There's lots of things still to explore in that sort of first wave.
0: So do you think that's what it is, is that it's it's just easier for people to go and discuss the stuff because there's as you said there's these bootleg series coming out as opposed to going back and trying to could it be is part of it is that the basement tapes is so huge is it yeah. just so much material that it's it's hard to get your your head around you know and is the it? fact that bob doesn't talk about I mean, he doesn't it talk about anything either. that much but he really yeah. doesn't talk about the ba- i mean he could be he could be very informative about the some of the basement tapes i and mean, he really you know, i don't know i haven't it's like i've read everything he's ever said about it but it's it's not like there's a rolling log no pun intended of like you know oh on the the day we did this and day we did that it's kind of you know he's kind of cagey about it. like you know geez that's shocking that he's cagey about something. right and it also could be that unfortunately you know timing wise of course we are now down to a single band member is that you know the the guys that were in the room are are unfortunately you know rapidly fading from distance
1: yeah i think there's some of that um I have a theory. I don't know if I if I wrote about this, but I think uh I think he got a little prickly that it got bootlegged um, too. You know, like it's the first big bootleg, you know, the basement tapes. And I think he I think he was probably a little pissed that it leaked out the stuff that he didn't necessarily want for public consumption. Um and He was like, wait, why are people doing this? And people are buying this and the money's not coming to me. Like I could understand why, uh, I would do, why I would be (laughs) mad. I think too. Oh yeah. If it's like, these are just rough drafts. Like what's going on? And somebody else is getting paid for it, you know? So I think that's a theory that I have, but then eventually they came out and he, he has a few quotes here and there of just like, you know, talking about like the process of working with your friends in a basement and just like that's the way to record with the dog over there and right. the the door open to the meadow or whatever. I think he has a quote like that. So, you know, I, I think he looks back on it fondly, but I bet he doesn't remember much of it. I'm sure that he does not remember King of France because you know, we can talk about it, but it's like uh uh you know it's just a single take he it's a totally improvised lyric probably but like that's what's so cool about the basement tapes as opposed to some of the other bootleg series is we don't have as much documented about the process of him improvising you know like we have a few strands like later um, but by then they're still like composed and then I'll go back and write. Like we don't have as much where he's like making stuff up, you know, in the room, which is, you know, which is just such a, uh, you know, a treasure, a gem to have.
0: Yeah. I mean, certainly at the time the, the bootlegs weren't, as you mentioned, like the great white wonder. It was like the first yeah. real big bootleg that you could get in record stores, I guess, and things like that. And it, would, it had a, some sort of gloss of being official. And of course said that it, it wasn't, uh, but yeah, I could understand that maybe, you know, you're not, yeah, they were recording the stuff. You could argue, well, if you really didn't want it out there, don't record it, just bang it out. But I mean, that's not fair. He should be able to, right. to work how he needs to work to get it to that place. I mean, the, so, what is it about? What is it about King of France? Cause when I listen to it, I like it. First of all, it is a little hard on the ears because just the simple yeah. recording is so rough. I mean, it just literally, you know, a lot of, a lot of uh, feedback, not feedback, a lot of you know, grit and noise on the, on the track and stuff. And though, although it clears up a little bit, but it, the song itself, when I first heard it on the, the, the box set, I have to say, I don't remember finding it being particularly <laughs> distinctive. I was like, okay, it reminded me a lot of, quinn the eskimo or tiny montgomery yep. which you talk yep. about because then there's a lot of that in these basement tape songs these these sing-songy slightly childlike fables about this bigger than life person yes who is coming to do something and yeah. it's whether it's the, again tiny montgomery or the king of France, it's the oh my god this guy is coming this you will not believe he's Ooh, gonna right. change everything when he arrives you know, you could argue, well, that's he's just writing the same song over and over again. But that's kind of what he was doing out there. That's what they were. Right. He, was, he was getting at something and he was using different forms to to get there. And one of the ways is writing these songs about these kind of huger, huge, bigger than life figures that are coming to town.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Like there's songs about arrival. you know, like you're never going to believe what's coming next. And, you know, there's actually one thing. I'm sure there are some others but when I was thinking about this I didn't write about this um in the post but he also does it with Dead Man Dan Dead Man you know when will you rise um same kind of thing um but yeah so the first time so yeah now I'll sort of go back to um to sort of the origins of me getting into Dylan like when I first got the basement tapes a friend uh, or Let's see. I was visiting a friend of mine when I was in college and her boyfriend had the genuine bootleg series. And I was like, what is this? And it's like <laughs> five CDs of, you know, these things. And I'm like, what is this? So I just like spent the whole week that I was visiting my friend taping these CDs from this guy, like her boyfriend. And I just kept thinking, what is this song? King of France. What is this about? Like, there hasn't been a King of France in dec, in centuries, you know? And, but Bob Dylan is singing about it in 1967. Like, what does that even mean? <laughs> and, and there was also just, you talk about like all the feedback and, uh, just the roughness of it. There was still something about that too of like, overhearing something that maybe you're not supposed to and you know like girl marcus writes about i'm not there like he does a whole chapter about it and you know and it's 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 the same thing as king of france this like mysterious song he's probably making it up as he goes along he has a kernel of something but what's so great about king of france is the song kind of kind of smokes like it's this weird rockabilly thing and i think bob's playing the electric piano and then you know robbie robertson comes through halfway and starts playing pretty pretty sick guitar and (laughs) i i've just always just felt like what is this thing it's just this unknowable um song sketch but it, it just had so much resonance and mystery
0: the, well, okay, so I mean, how did you? I mean, in in your write up, you talk about uh, Shahrazad. Yeah. I mean, how do <laughs> how do you? And I mean, when I read it, my eyes was like, wow, he's really going deep. I mean, how do you, how did you get there? How did you get well, to, well, to that level when you're listening to this song? Because, like I said, like I've been listening to it over and over again, and I'm like, I like it. I just wish there was like take two that was just a yeah. little more.
1: A totally. <laughs> well, for me, that's what makes it so great is that there's only one take. Maybe um, so. Maybe, Maybe yeah they had to
0: get to uh I am your teenage prayer. You know, they yeah. really had to, <laughs> they yeah, had to get exactly. to the next thing.
1: <laughs> well, and it becomes other songs. The take two is probably Tiny Montgomery, right? Mm. Um you know, or yeah. Quinn the Eskimo or something like that. So, you know, he even though those songs are still like really fun and silly and don't really you know th- it, they're mostly rhyming songs you know that's fun too but like they're still not that much different from what he's making up on the mic but yeah with uh, so just with Scheherazade that wasn't so much about the song but as much right. about the basement tapes like right. Scheherazade you know she needs to tell a story to the king um and at the end of every night she sort of leaves off in the middle of it so the king won't kill her and so for me that's a pretty cool metaphor for what bob and the boys the guys were doing in the basement they're killing time they're trying to stay alive you know bob's trying to figure out what comes next but he still likes to make music he likes hanging out with these guys and you know probably getting away from his family for a couple of hours who knows if they're you know what they're consuming as part of that you know and just having fun and so like they're just telling these stories to stay alive so that's that's what the shaharazad thing is it's it's a stand-in for the basement tapes as a whole
0: there is something about and i can't I can't possibly put my finger on I I have a podcast. That's the point of it. But (laughs) I I got this read from when listening to to King of France is and I, I get this from a lot of his songs, but not not all of them. But like, I do feel like when he's in the moment of creation, that it's sort of like time slips away when he is involved in whatever song he's performing in. And it's like this thing that he's doing is this little ditty and it's two minutes and the words are half formed and it's kind of just rolling around in his mouth, but it is about the, the beat. It's about the melody. It's about, as you say, Robbie Robertson, you know, rest in peace coming in and playing the guitar and all the guys crashing in and, and playing on it. That in this moment, in a weird way, like the Bob Dylan before this, the legendary figure already at this age. He got it, you know, 2060s or twenty seventies are legendary. <laughs> yeah. But yeah. the Bob Dylan, the Bob Dylan, have blown in the wind of times, era changing, of chimes of freedom, of like a rolling stone. That Bob Dylan does not exist in this moment. It is no. all about the King of France. That's the moment, and yeah. he's able to recapture that almost every single time because he puts that level of commitment to it. Like I don't, I don't hear. Like, yeah, I wish I could. I wish I could convey this more, more effectively than what than what I'm when I think I'm doing. But like when I hear it it's he's in the moment of this song and, and nothing exists before it and nothing exists after it. He's in the moment. This is it. I, this is this thing I'm creating right now. And it kind of, I think that's what he's doing as he's going on tour so much. He's I'm creating this new thing right in front of you. And it's only going to exist this one way ever again. And, you know, again, even if they decided to do take two of King of France, it's going to be a little bit different because it wasn't the moment that we just had with the guys, you know two and a half minutes ago
1: right you know yeah, and yeah and and so what's cool about the basement tapes is we have that on tape whereas mm-hmm. you know like i i just you know i'm sure you like me have just been devouring ray paget's book and you know they talk about all of those times when like that was my big takeaway from ray's book was bob likes to be in a band you know Mm -hmm. like he likes to be with a group of musicians he likes to play around with sounds he likes to play around with rhythms and then that's what feeds him you know and then he he figures something out so there there's all those moments in Ray's book where you know they talk about auditioning or just like warming up for a tour we don't have any of those tapes but we have these tapes you know Mm -hmm. and um and it, and you can tell he's laughing all the way through it. They're, um, they're making fun of one another. You know, uh, he's making fun of band members while he's singing. You know, <laughs> um, and you know he's he's joking around with these guys, and like, you know, for once he's like with friends making music, as opposed to having to be the voice of a generation and all mm-hmm. that crap that he had to deal with. Just like the previous year you know so Mm -hmm. he just has the joy of creation of experimenting and that's what's recorded here and you know so that's the highfalutin thing but again like he's just like playing with sounds and words and that's you know he has two things he has this thing king of france this phrase king of france and tell me what it's all about or tell you what it's all about and he just that that's all he needed to just play around with the with the sound of the words and you know i remember like what john lennon said where he was like it doesn't matter what bob dylan actually says it's the way he says things Mm -hmm. and you know there you know you do this on the on this podcast and I do it on recliner notes, like parsing every lyric. Like, what does this mean? What does this mean? Sometimes it just sounds really great the way Bob Dylan sings it, mm-hmm. you know? And so I think King of France is a really good example of this. I can't even tell what words he's saying sometimes, but it just sounds good, you know? Um, I just wish there was a better recording of it.
0: Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh Yeah, you kind of were like, oh, you know, guys, I, I forget which one of the members of the band was in, kind of in charge of it. It was
1: Garth. Yeah. It was Garth
0: Hudson? Okay. I, th- I think I, I thought that's who it was, but I didn't want to say the wrong yeah. thing. But yeah. uh Yeah. You do wish that they had, you know, well, well hold on. Wait a minute. Let me, before we start. Let yeah, me, let's get a clean, clean beginning of this.
1: Well, I think, I, I think as we found out once the full collection of the basement tapes was released and there was. I think some writing on, on it that, you know, it first started out before they actually got to the basement of Pit, Big Pink. Right. right. Um, like they started in Dylan's house, you know, in a big room. And I think that's where, like, there's like a, a real where uh from that one and the sound quality isn't as good. And so that's my guess is that this King of France – Uh, This recording is from the early, early days of that, but while they're still figuring it out. And again, this is pure speculation, but I think Bob's on the electric piano. So maybe he doesn't sound as good. He's further away from the mic. You know, he's not playing guitar. You know that again, that's pure speculation, but that's, that's my guess.
0: There is that tension. that I think most Bob fans have is that, of course, we want to hear every every note every little command every word that he says that's ever been recorded we are we're willing to at the very least listen to it if not buy it as a you know nice box set or whatever but at the same time like he deserves like any creative person he deserves the freedom to dick around you know to, to figure things out and and not be judged on oh god look how you know, look how rough form that song was in the beginning. Well, yeah, I it did. It, you know, it, it, authors don't release early versions of their books. You <laughs> right. know, I don't want to read. You know, uh, you know the ver- version one of To Kill a Mockingbird. You know, well, no, I would, the the one is that she finished is the one. Now it might be informative, but if it colors your view of it, and so yeah, I could see why Bob. Would feel like, hey, now obviously he's okay with it because he's yeah running off on these bootleg series at this point, and he's he's okay. But those are all in the past, you know. Those right. are all okay. Well, it's 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 fun to hear all the studio chatter on Infidels because that, that record's forty years old now, and it doesn't really matter, and we we already know where we got to on there. But I can understand that. Yeah, there had to be this freedom, and as you say with um the comment of being I mean, with the band, I mean Bob clearly Bob has not performed solo. Yeah, for 30 years, as far as right. I can think of, really. I can't, I mean, he he did it at the uh, you just mentioned at the uh, the 30th anniversary concert, he sang there by himself, but he he consciously chooses to be with a band to yeah. be with the guys. And obviously, with the band that he's playing with live, he's the boss, he's the you know, he's their literal employer, and the guys are his backing band. Now, I think it's maybe you know, hopefully a little more equitable than than that in some cases but when clearly the relationship he had with the guys here the the band is unique to his relationship with virtually anybody maybe the Wilburys but even then it's a little different because th- those are five legendary guys kind of all being right. legendary around <laughs> <Right. each other. laughs> it's yes. a little different but yeah he clearly had you as you mentioned like you feel like the, the basement tapes are underrated like the what him and the band created when they went on tour in 66 and then went to do this, they're two completely different things, right? You got this, yeah. boy, you know, he's, he's out shoving his new art down people's throats in a way <laughs> and they didn't want it. And then this is the opposite of that is, all right, I'm going to go hole up and create stuff that you're never going to get to hear. Everybody. We're going to record a hundred songs and none of you are going to get to hear any of it. that nah, 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 kind of of course yeah it all, it all leaks out but yeah he had a relationship with these guys that is unique in his whole career
1: yeah and you know going back to something you said a little bit earlier like when he says you know not playing solo acoustic by himself on stage or even in the studio i, I mean there's lots of quotes where he says you know i've already done that you know mm-hmm. that's what, what what he usually says i even think like uh Telltale Signs has that solo version of him playing most of the time and I think in the liner notes or somebody said for that recording, he said we could do this like it's a Bob Dylan song and then he p- just plays it solo so <laughs> he's just, which I think is hilarious, you know again, it's like I and I, like you're Bob Dylan, you know <laughs> like, um, but um, but then I think he's just like I again like I already did that. Let's come up with something new, you know? Like we're all musicians. We like to do this. Um we like to create and make new music. Let's do that. Like we have an opportunity here. And so again, like reading Ray's book, that's what really underlined for me is that he he likes to toy with the arrangements. He likes to um, play with the lyrics too, you know, it's all about like still just becoming, you know, and I think the basement tapes maybe is the start of that, you know, um, because we don't see him playing with lyrics on stage, you know, in, in, in those, uh, 1966 shows with the band or at all when he's just folk singer Bob Dylan, you know, except for like, you know, changing the song that he references in Bob Dylan's um, talking blues or whatever, you know, like, so I, I think it's there that he just starts this like continual experimentation.
0: Yeah. Uh, I, now we, we had had this episode uh, planned for a couple of weeks. And so in between that time, when we decided to do this and when we are doing it, uh, of course, we've lost robbie robertson and that was you know pretty shocking i can't say that i was like following robbie robertson in any close way i think it's it's safe to say that it was a shock to a lot of people because i mean like he was on twitter like robbie himself was on twitter which is always kind of charming when someone of this legendary stature is like literally interacting with people uh you know he famously burned that one guy (laughs) one of the band like one of the great burns it is on one of the of great time. burns. You know, First I, of all,
1: I need to say the original tweet is funny. Like I, I thought st- so too. I I, I like that. it. You know, I love the band, but I was like, that's a that's a pretty great uh pretty great dig. But then Robbie trumps it, you know, and I I that's gone around since he's passed away a number of times, and I laughed at myself every time I I read it. I'm like, yeah, still got it.
0: Yeah, yeah. I right, right, exactly. Like he he seemed vital you know and current and again i don't know the details of it but he looked great you know yeah. what i mean like he was 80 but he didn't look 80 you know yeah. he's a he, you know, very handsome guy and had the thick black hair and even though it's got gray in it he looked vital yeah and so when i saw that he passed away it was a genuine like wow really you know sure. oh my goodness that's you know and it's sort of funny. I've read quotes about Bob working with with Robbie over the years. Robbie Robertson. I shouldn't use his first name, like I'm familiar with him. But like, I thought it was interesting. There was like, um, I think, and it was a quote from from Robbie Robertson. I think it's when they're talking about making Planet Waves. But there was something where, Ro- somebody, it was like a third person, and Robbie. It might have been on Planet Waves because they're talking to Rob Fraboni, who was like the mm-hmm. engineer slash sort of co-producer on that record. And I think there was something where Robbie Robertson had an idea for us for for the song they were going to work on, but he couldn't tell that to Bob directly. (laughs) So he tells Rob Fraboni, a lot of a lot of Rob's here. He tells Rob Fraboni, you tell him, but don't tell him it was my idea, because if he knows it's from me, he'll think, no, that's too much like a Robbie (laughs) Robertson idea. So I won't do it. And there's something so wonderfully, and first of all, I love how much that Robbie Robertson knows Bob, that he knows yeah. he's got to, like, kind of circumnavigate the, the, the system <laughs> here, which is really funny. And then he's he's also kind of throwing Rob Ferboni to the wolves a little bit. Like, here, yeah, right. you tell him this idea. Maybe he'll like it. Well, maybe he won't. But I also think there's something very accidentally complimentary about mm-hmm. Robbie Robertson because Bob Dylan doesn't lack for ideas. Bob Dylan doesn't lack for feelings and thoughts about how to make a song. And if he is instinctively going to reject it because he knows it comes from Robbie Robertson, that's because he knows that Robbie Robertson's ideas are pretty damn good. Yeah. (laughs) You know, I mean, I'm sure if I went up to Bob Dylan and gave him an idea for a song, he would very quickly reject it because it would be worthless. But knowing (laughs) it came from someone of Bob's Level, Bob has to kind of put the guard up a little and be like, oh, no, wait a minute. I don't, I don't know if I want to do that because then it's going to seem. And that's, that says something about their relationship. Yeah. That, that Bob, Robbie Robertson was like, okay, he, I think this will be good for him, but he might be kind of a knee jerk against it. So let's find another way. And that, that says something about the way those two work together.
1: Well, and maybe it's what I talked about of, you know, he's suspicious of what he did in the, of, of repeating himself. Right. He's, uh, and so if it's coming from Robbie, who he has a long history with, you know, I mean, we're speculating here. This is really kind of silly, but, you know, like maybe he's like, um, and he's like, well, Robbie might do this thing that he and I have done 20 times, 100 times before. You know, I wanna do something new, you know, and so maybe it's that. I don't know. I'm just again, this is this is a funny what if conversation we're having. Uh,
0: yeah, I mean, I mean, I learned again after after Robertson's passing, I learned that Bob apparently reached out to Robbie Robertson and yeah. wanted him to play on rough and rowdy ways, which is like, oh my god, the mind reels, the thought of that, like can you imagine seeing his name on a on a modern but what would that have even sounded like but then it's you know it's sort of funny actually going thinking about what you just said we all know about the john wesley harding yeah bob Bob said oh i want the band to i specifically actually Mm -hmm. not the whole band just robbie robertson i think garth hudson garth yeah to play on the songs and it was robbie robertson who said yeah you don't need it you know
1: (laughs) and then he said it again for rough and rowdy ways he said you don't need me you know um you 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 got it um you can do this and so yeah it's that's just a funny window into both of their relationships and who those guys are and yeah i mean yeah i i that's my thing i i remember pat noswald in one of his books he he said that he would love in some sort of afterlife to be able to watch movies that were never made but only kind of conceived or thought about oh, and yeah, one of yeah,
0: yeah, yeah, yeah. you know
1: one of the things that yeah that's my idea of heaven this is so nerdy it's like I just want to hear what John Wesley Harding would have sounded like if Garth and Robbie had done overdubs, you know, just to (laughs) be like guitar coming in. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Like, I want to hear that wicked messenger, you know, that would be pretty cool. I want to hear Robbie lay down country licks and John Wesley Harding, the title song. You know, I don't know if it'll be better, but I'd love to hear it, you know.
0: Absolutely. uh Would you say that King of France is, if you can even categorize it this way, like one of your "quote unquote" favorites of the basements? Like, like if, like if you had to pare down ten basement songs, like these are the ones you could hear. Would you put that on there, or is it not? Is it you don't quite look at it that way,
1: Rob? What are you doing to me here?
0: <laughs> <laughs> and podcasting is not always easy, Scott. I mean, come on.
1: Um, I don't know. Um, it's. It's one that's always stuck with me, so yeah, and you know, I had to choose 80 songs to write about, and it mm-hmm. was one of those 80, but I I admit that those 80 tip heavily towards the basement tapes, like they're overrepresented in there, but because I, I go back to it a lot, you know, um, and yeah, sure. Let's put King of France on that theoretical playlist um, that you're talking about of like my favorites. But I, I don't know. Like, yeah, it's one that I that I listen to when I when I pull up the basement tapes. You know, there's 110 songs or 115 songs on the whole collection, but it's one that I always return to because it's it's mysterious. It remains mysterious even with you know all these transcriptions even with me writing about it spending hours with it and choosing words to write about it I, I, i'll never uh, never find it not mysterious too many negatives there but yeah.
0: that well there's you know, something else too is that the, i feel like as as you know time marches on and the the we get we have gotten rid of more and more of like mystery in life mm-hmm. like we we just can't stand ambiguity anymore everything has to be completely explained everything has to you know i mean and it's it's a shame that we kind of have lost that and i i mean look i don't know but it would be hard for me to imagine a modern artist of bob dylan's stature in 1967 today whoever the equivalent of that would be being able to say i'm gonna go hole up for six months yeah and record a hundred songs but with absolutely no intention of anyone ever hearing them I, yeah. I just don't think anybody would be able to withstand a record company's pressure like that and i just think that that says something about how just things have changed you know to, yeah. excuse me to borrow a bob song <laughs> yes. but you know what i mean like i don't i just don't think there'd be anybody the the, the, the you know the corporate Moloch has has just gotten so dominant that I don't think you could do that now. Even somebody of the, the biggest stature. Again, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe Taylor Swift has hundreds of songs. You know, <laughs> no one will ever hear. I don't know. But it's it's it would just it'd be hard to imagine Bob could so consciously be able to turn off the tap like that and just say, "Yeah, I'm creating, but nobody's going to get to hear it." I mean, of course, people they were releasing the songs for other people to record, so that's kind right. of yeah. opening the door to the tent a little bit
1: yeah and that's always that's always been the thought right is that maybe bob would take a break from recording and that he would just write these songs for for other artists um and that's kind of the uh conventional wisdom uh, around the basement tapes and so and that's you know kind of what happened and you know trying to again we don't know much about what happened with him and albert grossman but there was some sort of falling out you know yeah. and so and so maybe he was you know he was thinking okay if I do this if I just become a songwriter for other people this guy isn't gonna take as large of a cut because it's just you know who knows like again I'm speculating about yeah. all of that stuff um so yeah but you know going back to your point of like you know there are there are bands who experiment and try different versions of stuff you know like you know, and sometimes those songs see the light of day as B-sides or whatever, and sometimes we don't see them. So, you know, maybe there's things that are happening, but not a body of work like this. Um, And also there was nobody, nobody else like Bob Dylan in 1967, you know, like, like this was unheard of at the time and it's unheard of now. So you know, he's, he's a one of one, right? He's unique.
0: <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So maybe the, the right question would have been not so much, is this one of your favorites as it is, could it be what, in your mind, one of the most representative of yeah. what the Basement Tapes were about? You could say, well, this song, you know, we've got Tears of Rage or right. I Shall Be Released where Bob is still writing these anthems. Yes. You know, about, about social justice and uh, so you, you could pick one of those and say well i shall be released as sort of the greatest example of that version and then you could say uh quinn the eskimo is the greatest exemplar example of the nonsense song you know yeah, the silly the rhyming, of rhyming song. yeah but yeah. the king of france is one of the maybe in your opinion one of the great this is just creation in the moment songs this is yeah. part of the basement tapes it was creating something live in the moment and there it is and it doesn't exist in that form ever again
1: that's right yeah so it's like a song sketch i think is is because it's not a demo of something previously composed so those are the different slots of like there's the cover songs you know like big river or whatever then there's the cover songs where he starts experimenting with the lyrics like tupelo or yeah i'm your teenage prayer i think he I plays around with that. I, really I was, love that I wrote i also wrote about see you later alan ginsburg you know which <laughs> because which has always been one of my favorites too and yeah and then there's the com- the composed ones the serious ones quote unquote like tears of rage or wheels on fire where he's collaborating with the band too um because yeah Richard Manuel and Rick Danko are writing the the music for that and he's like oh here let me let me just jot down these insanely incredible lyrics of Tears of Rage um and so um and then yeah this is representative of the song sketch I think I'm not there as is another yeah. one of those they also the one i haven't written about it um it's still hanging out there for me that song wild wolf mm-hmm. that wasn't on the original tapes that i had it only came out i only heard it once the full thing came out on the bootleg series and that's one of those song sketches where you're like what is this thing <laughs> you know and it kind of sounds like You know, early Isis, like, uh, you know, Trail of the Buffalo, like it kind of sounds like that, which, you know, and he does, does a version of Hills of Mexico in the basement tape. So, you know, yeah. So there's only a few of the like song sketches, one take. Yeah. We'll never see this again. Um, and King of France is one of those. And, yeah one of my favorites of those thanks rob for helping me out
0: <laughs> absolutely that's a perfect perfect place to leave it Well, like i said i when you pitch this it's always like are we going how long do we to talk about king of france well we can talk about king of france for almost an hour because that's and, the magic of bob dylan's songs
1: and there's stuff that i wrote about that we didn't even talk about no. so yeah <laughs> so you can go to the clarinets and read it so yeah
0: absolutely it's a great piece like i said i thoroughly i thoroughly enjoyed it i really went on this kind of journey of like wow man he's going deep on this and it's just (laughs) and again it's not even so much about king of france it's about the about of king of france and you know you're like we're stepping back you're like oh my lord so that's uh again that's how fertile the ground is when you talk about uh, bob dylan stuff so well scott thank you for doing this this is a really fun conversation i i appreciate it and we have to ask Uh, Mm. standard exit question since you're new to the show we'll start with the one we always ask new guests which is and i think i already know the answer to this but maybe you'll you'll throw us a curve what uh what recording session of any of bobs that you could sit in on would you would you like to have been part of
1: well after all this the obvious answer is the basement tapes and i mean how can you say no to that um but Since we've just been talking about what a special time that was. Um, okay. This is hyper specific, but I'd like to be at Teatro, Daniel Lenoir's theaters converted into a record studio in, what was it, fall of 1996 when they're first doing the demos for "Time Out of Mind" uh, before they went down to Miami, mm-hmm. and it's like Dylan, Ranhua, and a drummer. Um, <laughs> I I I love all of those takes, those versions. That that version of "Can't Wait" I think is unbelievable. Um, I would just like to be there in the corner um watching them do it. So I'll do that one since we've the basement tapes has been well discussed in that this hour.
0: Is, that's a great very specific answer. Uh so <laughs> it's cool. That would be it always fun would be like how awkward would it be to be there when there's only a couple yes, because if things <laughs> go wrong, it's like oh shit, this is this is um <laughs> look at my watch here like okay, uh, so well, Scott again, thank you for doing this. I really appreciate it. Why don't you tell people where they can find you on the internet
1: yeah, um reclinernotes.com. you can find all of my writing there. I'm also on what remains of twitter at at recliner notes i'm also on blue sky so you can find me there too but yeah the ReclinerNotes.com that's that's where all the the writing gets linked to i've got the previous posts there and then also you know i write for aquarium drunkard and some other places too so all the links to my writing is there
0: Outstanding. So, okay. Thanks everybody for listening. Of course, you can find this show over on uh, Twitter. As Scott said, whatever is left of it's mostly ads at this point uh, <laughs> at pod underscore Dylan. We are also on Blue Sky as well as uh, under a pod Dylan. And of course, uh, if you want to find the back episodes of this show, go to our website, fmpods.com. And if you haven't yet, please subscribe so you can get access to all of our back episodes, plus bonus shows, plus the extended shows that come uh, twice a month, and you help uh, keeping Pod Dylan going. So that is going to do it. Thanks, everybody, for listening, and we will see you later. Bye. Everybody else, if you were going to make a record, you went and made a record where they make records, right? So anyway, I have this friend of mine, this guy that I know, look at the the, the thing in the basement, and he said, Well, this is a disaster. He said, this is the worst situation. You
1: have a cement floor, you have cinder block walls, and you have a big metal furnace in
0: here. These are all of the things that you can't have if you're trying to record something. Even if you're just recording it for your own information, your own benefit, you can't do this, this won't work, It'll, you'll listen to it and you'll be depressed. Your music will sound so bad that you'll, you'll, you'll never want to record again.